What's going on, everybody? It's the Searching for Something podcast where we look at everything and anything from every angle to see if there's something worth talking about. And today I have the lovely privilege of having a conversation with somebody I'm going to be dubbing the Ghost Whisperer. With that being said, let's just jump straight into it. Sue Johnson. How are you, Sue? <laughs> I'm finding it funny you would call me a ghost whisperer, but that's okay. <laughs> I do have some stories that, uh, to me, prove that there is a lot more to this universe than we can ever understand or prove in laboratory settings. Um, we could launch straight into stories that I have, and they're not made up. I can promise you that. So, Has anybody from beyond been in contact with you today? No, not today. Um, this is something that just happens occasionally through my life. I've had maybe, oh, at least a dozen instances, I would say, of things that have just been so weird and so far-fetched. And one story in particular is, is so multifaceted with so many points that happened that I cannot say with certainty what's going on other than there's something weird going on with time, time being an illusion, predicting things that come true. It's just messed up. And I don't say therefore God or anything because I just, you know, I don't know. I don't have a particular religion I follow. I just think that we're all just being played somehow. I can't explain it. I agree. So let's go into that story, that one that's multifaceted, the biggest one of them all. Let's just dive right into it. Start when you're ready. Okay. Uh, start big and then go home. Sure. Uh, well, all right. So <laughs> this is what happened. I was invited to my cousin's wedding in England. I live in uh, Point Roberts, Washington in the U.S. So, you know, that's quite the trek going over the ocean with the family to a wedding. My daughter was only little at the time, about four years old, I think. So it must be at least 20 years ago. So uh, my mum had died many years ago, and my dad was not good at giving family news just because, you know, he's a man, they don't talk much, right? So uh, I had no idea that one of my cousins was heavily pregnant. None, no clue. No one had told me she was pregnant. So I walked up to her at this wedding and I could see she was heavily pregnant and I went, wow, I had no clue. So I had a great big smile on my face and I walked towards her and I was going to give her a big hug. And as I walked towards her, I got a knowing deep in my gut and I can't describe it as anything other than actual knowing that this baby of hers would die. And of course I felt heartsick instantly because this was to be her first child and she was all excited so I immediately went into oh no let's cover this up mode and fake a smile and pretend everything's okay because you can't be walking up to your cousin saying by the way your baby's gonna die right <laughs> right I mean that's 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 not good so so I just I continued walking towards her and I gave her a big hug and I totally faked. Oh, it's going to be so wonderful. You'll be such a great mom. This will be the greatest love of your life. You wait. You know, you never know until you experience motherhood exactly what it's like. Oh, it's awesome. Blah, blah, blah. And all the while I had this pit 
in my guts, this absolute sense of despair. And I knew what was going to happen, but there was no way I could tell her. No way I could tell anyone, except I walked back to my table, to my husband, my daughter's dad, and I said, oh no, I've had another psychic awareness thing, a prediction, and it's so deep and and so heavy in my gut. And it's nothing to do, to do with anything that I know in real life. It's just an inward knowing. My spirit knows this baby's going to die. And of course he said, oh my gosh, I hope you're wrong. I hope it's just like, you know, you care for her. You haven't seen her for years. Uh, everyone worries, you know, and I said, no this is real. This is going to happen. Oh my God, how awful. So we just continued on with the wedding celebrations. I kept the smile pasted on my face and I mentioned it every so often during the next couple of weeks. I actually said to my cousin at, at one point, so is everything all great with the baby and everything? If you had any ultrasound scans lately, everything good? kind of fishing for information. And she said, oh, everything's fine. I just had one the other day. It's perfect. A couple more weeks and uh, he or she will be here. And so, you know, I just, I kept my knowledge to myself. So we flew back to uh, North America. And one night, a couple weeks later, I woke up in tears and I was sobbing. And I said, the baby's dead. She's lost her baby. Oh, no, it's true. The baby's dead. And my husband said, ah, let's hope it's just a subconscious fear you've had because of that weirdness. Let's hope it's not true. Maybe it's just a bad dream. But I knew better. Anyway, sure enough, the phone rang in the morning. Because, you know, there's a time difference, right? So I'm sure my aunt was waiting for me to actually get up for the day. So the phone rang and she has never phoned me in the, what was it then? I guess uh, 15 years since I'd left Britain. She had never phoned me before. She has never phoned me since. But she phoned me this one time and she said, Sue, I've got the most awful news. She lost her little babby. And they say Bobby in Britain, right? It's just a sort of term of affection for babies. And of course, I was in tears and I said, oh, my goodness, how dreadful. And I wasn't about to say, oh, oh I knew it. You know, I'm not going to tell her that. Right. So I just said, oh, that's just terrible what happened. And she said, nobody knows. She was a perfectly formed baby girl with nothing wrong with her. She lived for two hours and she died. And they're investigating why she died and they're going to have to have a funeral because she was a live birth and they never did find out why nobody ever knew why so you know I, I guess they do autopsies or whatever on babies I don't know but they never found out why but it turns out that the exact time that I woke up in tears was the time that that baby died thousands of miles away across an ocean so yes. That is, I mean, that is one horrific experience for me. I don't want this to happen. I'm not willing it to happen. And most of the time, my foreknowledge happenings are good or happy or kind of irrelevant. 
but that was a really bad one and i actually went to therapy over it for the first and last time in my life i went to therapy because i was so upset knowing something negative like that and having children of my own and i said to the therapist how on earth do i go through life worrying about my own children every time they step out the door if i feel like they're gonna die that day how do i know if they will or if it's just a natural mother's worry because all mothers worry like that and he said something which i really appreciate and he was a really good therapist he wasn't discounting any of this he said well I would suggest that you listen to yourself and your intuition because it's a very strong one. I can't explain this gift that you have, but you have a gift and you know the difference between a worry and a knowledge, right? Did it feel different than just a regular worry? And I said, oh gosh, yes. It was so powerful. It was an absolute knowing in my soul. That's a lot different than a regular worry. And he goes, there you go. There's your answer. If you feel like this again, pay attention to it because it could be that you're being warned and you may have to end up telling your children, uh, don't drive on that road today or, you know, don't climb that tree or whatever. Right. So that's what I've carried through ever since. And in fact, I did have an incident once with, with my son, who's an arborist. So he does climb trees for a living. One of the many things he does. And, uh, I had a really bad feeling about him being injured at work that day or worse. I said, please don't climb any trees today. But mom, mom, I have a tree job. It's an easy one. There should be no problem. And I said, uh, please don't. And it's because I know something bad's going to happen today specifically if you do. So please do not do it another day. Okay. So anyway, he thought about that. And he went and told his partner and his partner also didn't dismiss it. And between the two of them, they said, well, we've got other work we can do. Let's just not do that tree today, even though conditions are perfect. The weather is good. The tree is not a danger tree. It should be tickety boo. Let's just not. Let's listen to my mum and just not. So they didn't. They did something else. Nothing happened. They happily did the tree another day when I didn't get this feeling. So I think that's good that they paid attention, right? Because you'll never know. We'll never know what might yeah. have happened. Uh, yeah, that's just so interesting. When I hear that story, it like, gives me chills. And so I, the first question that comes to my mind is, why do you think some people can pierce through the veil of consciousness and see what is beyond considered normal? I haven't got a clue, but I've been doing it all my life since I was a small child. And I some I mean, it sounds so outlandish and silly, but I sometimes wonder if there's some kind of a connection based on my genetics, because I'm very much a Celt. I even have Celtic feet, if you can believe that. It's the funniest thing. Saxon feet are different to Celtic feet. Um that's that's in what been, way well <laughs> it's funny because i saw this in a paper once um that i think it was an archaeologist or uh i don't know anyway somebody wrote a paper on the difference between the feet and the celtic feet are long and narrow and the toes often have large gaps between them but they're 
sort of straight across the top of the foot, whereas a Saxon foot has a much more slanted angle between the big toe and the little toe, and the, the foot is much broader. And so mm. my footprints look entirely different to a Saxon footprint, for example. And I've always, you know, grown up reading fairy stories, literally, stories of the fairies, of the little people, you know, in Ireland, the leprechauns and so on. And genetically, apparently, according to 23andMe, I'm mostly Irish. So I come by it naturally, right? So I think maybe there's more of a connection to other somehow. I, I don't know. I have no clue why. Um, I'm not particularly artistic or dreamy. I'm actually very logical. I was an excellent chess player. I'm, um, before I got a crappy math teacher, I was actually very, very good at math, arithmetic and such. Not anymore. That kind of got ruined by a bad teacher for me. And now I go blank, but I used to be really exceptionally good at things like mathematics, logical thinking, you know, I'm, I would much rather say that we don't know if there's a God because it hasn't been proven, you know, than say, oh, yes, I have faith. There is one. Well, what's faith? It's just believing something, right? Well, why would you believe something if you can't prove it? So that's how my mind is. Meanwhile, there's all this crazy stuff going on all my life. I can't prove this. I can just talk about it. I can explain it. I can say what happened. I can get good, honest people to corroborate these stories, such as my daughter's dad. He will say, absolutely, she came back to that table and told me that baby would die, you know, and absolutely, I comforted her when she woke up in tears. And yes, this is a genuine story. In fact, he himself has his own story. He said, well, no wonder our daughter's kind of got this psychic ability because so do I and so does my mom. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, do tell, right? <laughs> so he actually was at university in Fairbanks where he went uh, to university many years ago in Alaska. And uh, he was chatting among his friends about psychic abilities and... Uh, telepathy and things like that and they were all poo-pooing it they were all, ah ha ha yeah right and he said oh no genuinely i do have powers and he wasn't kidding and they were like ha 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 prove it so they were in the lineup of the cafeteria just waiting to get lunch and he said suddenly this feeling came over him and it was something that was not under his control or or anything that he made happen it just happened and he suddenly got this sort of powerful force come over him and he lifted his arm and he pointed to this coffee pot across the kitchen and he said i'll show you <laughs> and as he was pointing this glass coffee pot on the coffee maker exploded and shattered and of all his all of his friends were like holy crap <laughs> right they they just they couldn't believe it and he couldn't really believe it either. So then he just lowered his arm and went, okay, my work here is done. <laughs> so, yeah. Wow. Things like that, that. That just sort of happens for him, that he has a way of controlling things with his mind. 
I can't do that. Not at all. I, I haven't even tried. And for me, I can't make it happen. So when I tell people I have a psychic thing going on that happens sometimes, they will laugh and say, oh, yeah, right. Then why don't you win the lottery, you know, and stuff like that. Well, there's a funny story I have. <laughs> Actually. <laughs> Actually, if I wasn't such an idiot and so forgetful, I would have won the lottery <laughs> many years ago in British Columbia. They had a BC lottery. Uh, they had a lotto 649, which was a federal national thing, and a BC lotto specific to British Columbia. And it was a $1 million uh, prize. And in those days, because this would have been the late 1980s, uh, in those days, a million dollars was a lot of money. <laughs> Nowadays, possibly not so much, but back then, oh boy, that was a lot of coin. So anyway, I had a dream of the winning lottery numbers. And I thought, well, I've done this before. So this time I'll actually write them down. So I go buy a ticket and I've got the numbers, right? So I wrote it down on my notepad next to my bed, got those numbers all nicely written down, got to go buy a ticket, got busy that day, forgot to buy a ticket. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> yes, they did all come. That was the winning numbers. So. Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. Right. And the only way I could reconcile that is to say, well. Whoever's in charge of the universe, should there be such a universal being, let's call it God, you know, for convenience. Perhaps this entity thinks that money isn't all that important and I don't really need it because I've always had enough. Maybe I just, you know, because I'm so forgetful, I didn't get the ticket. Maybe I just wasn't meant to have that much money. Maybe I can do more good in the world without being wealthy right i don't know <laughs> but it still sucked <laughs> oh yeah that taste in your mouth would definitely be <laughs> tasting like some sour milk um i'm i'm curious though because we're talking about how you know faith is just believing and how do you believe in something if there's no proof yep. but would you say your own physiological strong response to this intuitive feeling that something's going to be happening is proof in and of itself I would. I would very much so. And I argue almost daily with my husband on this. We don't really argue, but we do debate very well. And we love each other and respect each other. But he's a very, very strident atheist. And he will tell me that's just coincidence. And I will tell him, no, it isn't. And so we're at an impasse and he has his opinion and I have mine. I know me, he knows him. And I say, I pity you actually, dear. <laughs> I'm sorry for people like you that are so logical, so stuck on, it has to be proven in a laboratory setting, blah, blah, blah. So Mr. Science, that you don't, get that intuition that I have because you don't yourself have it. Too bad for you. I do. Nah, nah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> right? Yeah. So, yeah. He actually is a very, very, very brilliant uh, programmer of 40 years plus 
and he has Asperger's, just like our daughter. Uh, I mean, just like my daughter does, because my ex also has Asperger's. And funny enough, my dad was an Asperger, so obviously I have a type, right? <laughs> so yeah, yeah, big burger yeah, fan. My current husband is, is not. Sorry, I I misspoke. My current husband is not my daughter's dad, but they're both so similar. They're both into computers. They're both brilliant. Um, my my daughter's dad definitely is gifted psychically somehow. My current husband, uh, absolutely not. <laughs> He has zero intuition. <laughs> you know, he doesn't even judge people like I do. I judge people in less than a second. I could tell you their life story, probably. I can just sum them up just by looking at them. And if they speak, absolutely, I've got them pegged, right? And he's, um, oh, that's probably an unfortunate term. Sorry, folks. Anyway, so, uh, <laughs> but, but he will uh, see things as they are presented to him. And he won't look behind everything or beneath or bet read between lines. If someone's nice to his face, he will just say, oh, that's a nice person. And I can know instantly whether or not they're nice people. Instantly, I will go, ah, ah, no, absolutely not. Don't trust this one. And he's like, what are you talking about? You're so judgmental. Well, yeah, because I can judge people and he can't. So, you know, I feel sorry for that lack of skill honestly <laughs> and is that a feeling that you get like when you when you come into contact with somebody is it something that you feel within like the base of your stomach and your chest and your forehead yeah. like where's this concentrated energy feeling once you have that contact with somebody and you're saying you know what this is a good or a bad person or maybe i need mm -hmm. a little bit more information it's everywhere. It's one of those all-knowing things again, and I can't explain it. I've heard talk of a third eye, which is supposedly somewhere on your head. I don't know. Uh, I have no idea. Maybe mine opened up or something because I was dropped on my head on the church steps by my aunt when I was six months old. <laughs> like, I don't know. Stone <laughs> steps in Britain. Apparently, I cried a lot. And in those days, no one took you to the hospital. It was just like, ah, oh, she'll be all right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, Walk it um, off kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> Cry it off. You'll be fine. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I cannot. I wish I could explain this. I just know I have a knowing. And I, I cannot. I, I can't put into words. I'm sorry. I should be explaining because this is your podcast and people are trying to learn. And I'm not a good teacher. I'm sorry. No, don't worry about it. It's just a knowing. Yeah, you know, I want to define a term because it gets thrown around a lot for the listeners, and this is going to kind of tee me up to ask you a question. Um, mm -hmm. And so you're talking about, you know, the word coincidence. I feel like a lot of people who are going to be listening to these stories are going to be like, oh, that's just a coincidence. And so for the sake of everybody being on the same page of how we'll be defining this term, you know, coincidence is a remarkable concurrence of events or or circumstances that have no apparent causal connection with one another. And the perception of remarkable coincidences may lead to supernatural, occult, or paranormal claims, yeah. or it may lead to a belief in fatalism, which is the doctrine of events that will happen. It's a doctrine that events will happen in the exact manner of a predetermined plan. And so that makes me want to ask you, do you subscribe to this idea of fatalism, that there is just kind of this grandiose predetermined plan and time is essentially just trying to keep up with that plan? No. 
And that's because I have such a deep feeling about my son being injured that day that I feel like I prevented it. So if I was seeing the future, then I had the ability to stop that future from happening. That's how I feel. So if everything was predetermined and, oh, this is just going to happen because it's going to happen, there's nothing you can do about it. I don't think so. I think we have free will. I think we make our own lives. We make our own luck. We make our own happiness. We, we make our own decisions. And I don't think there's some grand plan that this entity we, we can call God has in store for each individual person. I think this God character is a lot more busy than thinking about each individual person's life or dog's life or cat's life or ant's life or tree's life or whatever. We're all living beings and there's no way that every minute detail is pre-planned in every single thing. I just think that's nonsense. But I think we all have abilities to change our own worlds or maybe we don't i don't know i'm not god <laughs> that's just my opinion right i'm probably wrong probably god's sitting up there on his cloud going ah you're so wrong i've got you all figured out every one of you no that's a great take i because there's definitely you know two sides Two different sides of the same coin where it's either hey this is all according to some master plan or we do have that free will what do you think about these studies that kind of indicate that we don't have free will and that you know the decision has already been made before you've been consciously aware of it because i think that's what some of these materialists and rationalists try to kind of arm those arguments of saying hey you don't have free will because look at we knew you were going to pick the red one instead of the yellow one before you even knew that so when you see these types of studies what does that kind of make you think about uh, it makes me think that the people designing such studies are very good mathematicians and they understand statistics <laughs> that's what it makes <laughs> me think <laughs> um yeah you know like on, on these game shows that, that are skewed a certain way for choosing which door to open or whatever there it's all carefully done and so there is sort of a predetermination of what people will pick and i think that is just a study of what people are like and what statistics how they work uh so i don't know i mean part of me is is a fatalist honestly part of me is part of me says well you know, people die when their number's on the door. Literally, like, you you can't predict it because you don't know, but they they were going to die anyway. Whether or not they took that train that day or whether or not they stepped off that curb in front of the bus or however it would happen, it was preordained. So part of me thinks, oh, yeah, this, is, this there's some master plan and everything is preordained. And then the other part of me goes, ha, no way. I have an ability to change things if I so wish, if I see it coming and I want it to, to be changed from what I think might happen. So is it just because I have this psychic thing and, and there's only me and a few others that can do that? Or am I just being egotistical thinking I have some control when really I have none? I have no idea. And I do have a huge ego, by the way. I'm a Leo. We can't help it. Arrogance <laughs> is our middle name. <laughs> 
Yeah, honestly, it's almost like there's a little bit of both. Like there is a, everyone kind of has a baseline trajectory based on the family that you were born into and the region and the education and just like yep. these, these factors that we can't control. But it's almost as if the moment you exert your will onto this plan, that plan is subject to change. And so it's like, there's kind of the skeleton that should mm -hmm. get played out, but then there's people like yourself who have this uncanny ability to exert their will on the world which quite literally may change that plan based on whatever it is that you were exerting, you know, bending right. to your will. Well, at this point, I really, really wish I could exert my will on the world and cause world peace. Damn it. <laughs> Gosh, I wish people would stop fighting each other. It's so stupid. But anyway, that's, that's just me. I wish. Uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, think no one has that power. Yeah, I guess that's what technology is trying to solve, where it's trying to kind of bridge that gap between everybody being on the same page. But even the more technologically advanced that we get, I'm not quite sure if that's going to be um, a good solution for creating world peace or if that will ever be within our, you know, within mm. our hands reach. I'm a bit more cynical, I think, than you. I think people are, in general, pretty stupid and many are very horrible <laughs> uh having said that most people in the world are good kind loving they all want the same thing they want to love and be loved they want their children to be safe and healthy most people are not psychopaths unfortunately the way things are people in power do tend to be sociopathic or psychopathic in nature i think power corrupts and absolute power absolutely corrupts corrupts absolutely however you say it uh people that get into politics even if they start off with an altruistic idea of helping others in general soon become corrupt that's what i see and these are the people that are inventing wars right and sending the sheep off to battle the cannon fodder it's people are people are not nice humans are not nice humans are sometimes selfish and well concerned about money i suppose money you know be it oil mineral rights whatever money power it's all such crazy stuff that i have no interest in but many people do and these people are called politicians so i don't think it's ever going to be a, a thing that we can get away from because humans are really stupid i like dogs better and cats. <laughs> you know whenever i think and about trees. People, love a good tree always love yep. to hug a tree mm -hmm. Honestly, whenever I think about people, you know, being stupid, it's like, just look at the bell curve, you know, the IQ distribution, there's 50%. And then you yeah. go to the right of that bell curve. Yeah, there's going to be geniuses. But then if you go all the way to the left, you know, there's another 50% of people who aren't so bright and may fall into the traps of evil and wanting to do harm unto others. So it's like, we yeah. quite literally possess both the good and the evil within all of us. That's why I say that. I think you know, so, the, yeah. The people who were, you know, Nazis during World War II, I always tell people, if you were born during that same time, 
you would have been no different. You would have been a Nazi as well. And that's because we all have this shadow aspect mm -hmm. to our psyche. We have the proclivity to be evil. And to say otherwise, you say, you know what? I would be born in that time, but I wouldn't have been a Nazi. Or during the civil rights movement, you know, you wouldn't yeah. have been trying to throw fire. It's like, I don't know. I mean, no. those people were people. So brainwashing works. Brainwashing it works. works very, very well. If it didn't work, they wouldn't do it. And uh, that can be seen very easily with uh, the last few election cycles, you know, in the US. Brainwashing works very well. And it's not just stupid people that succumb to it. Very bright people do too. So, yeah. People, and when I say they're stupid, what I mean is, um, yeah, some of them are. Some of them lack intellect. But even intellectually astute people can easily be brainwashed. Yeah. And that's what happens, you know. Nowadays, I think... Uh, Social media has a lot to do with it because we are being fed, according to our own preconceived notions, what we want to hear, and to the nth degree. And people, people are easily swayed. They become who they hang around with. They become similar to their friends group or or their. Uh, social media connections or whatever P people are just easily swayed and they don't know what's happening to them but it is i don't yeah. know how else to say that other than people can be really really dumb and i don't know <laughs> don't know the right way to say that um god i sound so arrogant but oh <laughs> you know, man on, on the topic of uh, people being of people being brainwashed and things along those lines and kind of bringing it back to what we were originally talking about. I'm curious, um, do you think that we are caged by our cultural programming to dismiss paranormal activities that are experienced? And if so, why do you think that is? Yes, I do. Um, why? Because it's kind of frightening because that means we don't really have control if, if, someone else is pulling the strings right so i think children are talked out of their imaginations maybe it's not imagination when i was little i had all kinds of dreams and knowings and experiences and i was told oh that's not real and so if you're told something's not real long enough, then maybe you'll believe it from authority figures and dismiss it. So then maybe you'll lose that connection to other. I never lost it entirely, but it's less frequent now that I get these awarenesses or happenings. When I was little, I would have um, really bad dreams of standing stones, you know, stone circles, they're all over Britain and they're really heavily concentrated in my area where I grew up in Somerset in the UK. Uh, all you need to do is go to Google Earth and you will see stone circles everywhere. They're all over the place. Some of them are still standing. Some of the stones are now laying down, but it, they're still there. But anyway, when I was little, I would dream of these stones surrounding my house and they were pulsing with a blue light and a kind of a buzzing, humming sound. And it represented evil. 
and I knew that I couldn't go close to the stones because I would be sucked in to evil somehow. I didn't know what the evil was, but it was evil. And so I could never get back to my house in my nightmares. They were horrible nightmares. I would wake up shaking and crying and, you know, go and sleep in my mom's bed for comfort for years. I had these stone circle dreams and they didn't know where they came from. My parents, they were just like, oh, it's just a bad dream. Oh, it's nothing. It's nothing. It's nothing. <laughs> just funny enough, just recently, I'm one of the few people that had never seen the series Outlander and I'd never read the books. I'd heard of them. But I just started watching Outlander, the TV show, because um, we just finally got Netflix. So it's on there. So we just started watching it. And I'm like, okay, now I know why I should be scared of the damn stones. Holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, that got dismissed. Another thing that got dismissed, which was a very powerful thing that happened to me when I was 12 years old, I had appendicitis, very severe appendicitis. It was um, well, actually, <laughs> weirdly, the doctor showed me my putrid, disgusting looking appendix the day after my surgery and said, oh, this is what we took out of you. Oh my gosh, it was disgusting. But anyway, so I had appendicitis really badly. So I had to get rushed to hospital. And um, anyway, I went under the knife. But before I actually had the surgery, I th think I may have died and come back because this wasn't during surgery, this was before. But I remember floating up at the ceiling and looking down on my body. And I remember as I was floating and it felt like my spirit had left my body and I was looking down on my body and I went towards this light and I'd never heard of an NDE before, near-death experience. I'd obviously never experienced it before but I remember this tunnel and this bright light and going towards the light and as I was going towards the light there was like a voice or a knowing and I can't describe the voice because it was my voice but it wasn't I don't know how to say that but anyway I remember this voice in my head saying it's not your time or something like that. I don't know the exact words, but it was, it's not your time. And then I came back into my body. And as an adult years later, I've read about near death experiences and other people's accounts and they pretty much echo what mine was. They're all pretty much the same. So that makes me say, is that just that your brain is misfiring and you're hallucinating at that point of death? Or does that mean there really is some other realm you're going to in your spirit form? Because I felt my spirit leave my body. And then when it came back in, then I was okay. But fast forward a little bit. So then I had my surgery because it wasn't instant. I think they have to wait until your stomach is empty or something. So then I had my surgery, I don't know, 12 hours later or something. And when I woke up from my surgery, I knew, and I still know, my spirit had changed. I had a new soul. My old one was gone. And I still had my brain memories from earlier childhood, 
everything, you know, cognitively and my brain was working okay. I had memories of what happened before, but my, I knew my spirit was a different one. And I told everyone I could think of about it. I was telling doctors, I was telling nurses, I was telling my parents, I was telling my aunt that came to visit, my cousin that came to visit, my friend. I've got a new soul. And they all completely dismissed it and said, oh, that's just the effects of the anesthetic playing tricks on your brain. Well, I don't know. You tell me. Was it? I, I have no idea. I don't think so. Yes, I do have an idea. I know my soul changed. I know it did. I don't know what happened to the old one. This is a new one, and I've had it since I was 12, but I know it changed. And everyone else says, oh, no, no, it's just your brain playing tricks. So I don't know. You can't explain uh. that other than perhaps hallucination. My husband thinks that everyone who has an NDE is hallucinating because their brain is misfiring as they die. So. That could be it too. Yeah, that's that's so interesting. Um, it reminds me, I, I want to read you a quote by Terrence McKenna in response to this story because he's going to set me up to ask you a question. And so the quote, and Terrence McKenna, he's an Amer uh, American. Oh, your audio just cut out. Can you hear me? Hello. Hello. Hello? I can't hear you. Your audio just cut out. Can you hear me now? Yes, I can. Okay. Perfect. So I want to read you a quote by Terrence McKenna. He's an American ethnobotanist okay. and philosopher. He advocated the responsible mm -hmm. use of naturally occurring psychedelic plants. And so the quote right. that I'm going to read, it makes me think about, you may have traveled to the places that the shamans have outlined, but his quote reads that this question of non-human intelligences is very much on the agenda. All shamans of all places have claimed this, and that's why they can make objects out of language. It is because the flesh is becoming word and the word becoming flesh. This is a cycle between two dimensions of existence, and only the shamans know what is happening because only they operate outside the confines of profane history. Only they make the journey into the matrix where, for some reason, the living and the dead are coexistent. So do you think in this experience that you had that you may have been in this journey into the matrix where life and death is, is all the same thing and you're breaking through that veil because a lot of the near-death experiences that people have are also experiences that people have while on dmt which is the most powerful hallucinogen on the brain which is theorized to be a chemical that's released during the nde in itself so what do you think about that right i think it yeah that's interesting isn't it i think they're onto something <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, okay, well, not to put too fine a point on it and be judged, but I have experimented. Um, once, when I was in college, I took mushrooms. And once when I was 20, so I was two years out of college, I took LSD. Mushrooms, meh. It, it wasn't that great. I just thought, okay, this it made me feel a little giddy and I could see things moving in slow motion. So it sort of seemed to affect time, but not that big a deal. The acid, though, that was the most phenomenal experience of my life. 
it was incredible it was fantastic it was beautiful and that's why i only did it once because once that was over and it was probably a 12-hour trip i said to myself in my logical brain holy crap that was excellent i better not do that again <laughs> <laughs> because that could get really dangerous because i loved it so much i didn't ever want to be hooked on anything i i know that supposedly you can't become physically addicted to psychedelics but you could possibly become psychologically so and possibly if you overdose on it perhaps be permanently in some form of psychosis and logical me said no i've done it it was brilliant i don't ever want to do that again because i never want to be wired to anything my mom died of uh nicotine uh tobacco addiction at a very young age two years younger than i am now she was 55. she was hooked up to oxygen for 24 hours a day for the last two years of her life and she would unhook it to have another cigarette that's how bad her addiction was. I never want to be addicted. So I just had it in mind. You know what? I'll try this stuff, but I'm not doing it again. <laughs> but anyway, that's just me. But yeah, I, I think that's really interesting. The chemistry is the same, isn't it? The brain chemistry. So I think during my states of otherworldly beingness, whatever it is, when I'm piercing the veil, my brain chemistry is changed at that point. Um, possibly similar to someone taking an acid trip or something. I don't know. But we are, everything is a chemical, right? We're all made of chemicals. So, yeah. I'll bet that's yeah. what's happening. Yeah, it's super interesting to think about. And it seems like a, a lot of people have that psychedelic experience of, you know, oneness and meaning. And a lot of people attribute that because what we're lacking in society existentially is any sense of order meaning and beauty in the world mm -hmm. so then once we take this this trip where we are connected to this you know divine yeah. oneness of nature where we were like wait a minute we do have some type of purpose whatever that means yep. um so yeah it's crazy how psychedelics have that ability to wake up the mind to, the, to the patterns that exist outside of society yeah i i love that whole concept and i think microdosing is a good idea for people suffering depression and such um i would caution against most people you know regularly doing too much of it <laughs> certainly not yeah. high doses because you don't want to become completely psychotic and ruin your brain but i don't think it's as dangerous as most of the drugs that we have on this planet and certainly not most of the pharmaceuticals which cause illness and death thanks to the doctors that are only practicing medicine sorry doctors but you know who you are anyway um yeah for me i'm way too logical and and i i, I value my health so much i don't I don't want my brain messed with because it's already messed up all by itself. <laughs> That's how <laughs> I feel about it. I just don't need this. Uh, just a sec. Pardon? No. Oh, no, that's okay. Sorry for the interruption. 
for once my husband was going to feed me. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm curious because, you know, we're talking about how everything in the world is essentially, you know, boiled down to chemicals and, you know, the human mm. body being the perfect example of that, you know, and it, it's evident through personal experiences that ghosts or spirits are visible to us in the form of, you know, maybe like a dense gaseous state, like a black shade that people are able to see. And, you know, there's stories where people say yep. th this force had the ability to apply its will on an object and, you know, to move it, you know, in order to do that, this energy needs to possess mass, yet we don't have any data on this. So do you think that these ghosts or spirits, whatever you want to call it, are made up of something beyond our understanding of what is contained within the periodic table? I think so. And it has to be. Actually, my daughter and I saw uh, an entity in a field here in Point Roberts some years ago. We both saw it. We've we've had similar experiences, um, you know, as two people experiencing the same thing, right? We both saw it and we both went, wow, where'd she come from? And I don't know how we both knew it was a she, but it was a hooded, cloaked figure in the middle of a field, female. I don't know how we knew that, but we did. And it, it was one of those mind's eye type things or or almost like um if you daydream you're sort of in an almost subconscious state that kind of different kind of level of consciousness so we both must have been in that state and we looked across the field together and saw this entity and then as soon as and this happens all the time with me when i see spirits as soon as i got back to my logical brain and my conscious state, not subconscious, it disappeared. And it happened to her too. As soon as we actually thought about it, oh, what's that woman doing there? She was gone. And it was way too big a field for her to have run away. There were no trees to hide behind. There were no sheds to hide behind. There, were, there was no actual cloaked figure in that field. It was an apparition or something and some kind of uh well ghost i have to say the word ghost but we both saw it. and also when i uh, yeah I, I should actually mention this too when i was in primary school in a place i was raised in a little village called wookie hole which i love the name of wookie hole um we had a uh an old building that was our school it's long since shut down from being a school. I think it may be a nursing home for elderly people now. But anyway, that was our school. But there was one half of the building that was closed off and boarded up. And there was a, a bell in that side of the building that nobody could access. But every so often you would hear the bell ring. And yet there was nobody there. So sometimes the bell would ring. And every so often the kids in the schoolyard, me included, would see. A hooded figure in the window like as if it was from i don't know the 14th century or something it just looked like an old caped hooded figure in this window and it would pass by the window and the kids would go oh there's the ghost and then oh now it's gone and that was weird so is that mass psychosis i mean are we all having weird brain chemistry moments or does that ghost actually live in the schoolhouse next to the school. 
is all boarded up and no one can get to. I don't know. That yeah, was kind of weird. Yeah, that's super weird. It makes me think of this um, this thing that happens in our brain. It's called pareidolia. And it's the tendency for perception to impose a meaningful interpretation on a nebulous stimulus, usually right. visual, so that one sees an object pattern or meaning where there is none. So do you think maybe looking in retrospect, you could attribute some of your personal visual experience to this condition? And I'm not sure if like schizophrenia is a part of your family tree, but they say that mm -hmm. people who have schizophrenia mm -hmm. have this uh, higher tendency to have pareidolia happening to them. Right, yes, because they're certainly known to have hallucinations. No, I wouldn't say, no, we've never had any mental illness in our family that I've ever known, not even depression. I can't even think of anyone. Um, but I know schizophrenics, uh, one of their symptoms is so-called hallucination. And I actually do know a schizophrenic young man here in this town where I live. And uh, he has a connection to nature, which is phenomenal. He'll have birds just land on him, you know, when he's Whoa. not got food or anything. But he's he's got this connection to birds. So he can just be laying in a field, relaxing, and songbirds will just come and rest on him. Or even just sitting, sitting on his porch, and then a bird will come and pitch on him. and nothing to do with the food connection. I mean, I, I get birds landing on me too, but usually because I have bird seed, right? So it's nothing special for me. But for him, he's got this thing where somehow there's some kind of understanding between him and nature, which I find really interesting. And I know he also has hallucinations. So... It is interesting, isn't it? I wonder just who, who are the crazy people, the schizophrenics or us so-called normies, you know? <laughs> Maybe right. they're not so crazy after all. Maybe they're more connected than we are, and they're seeing things that are there, but we're too dumb to see. Exactly. It's like maybe like that quote that I was talking about, being able to you know make the journey into the matrix. Maybe right. that's what these schizophrenic people have is this this greater infinity to tap into what is beyond and, and seeing the world for what it is and the yep. world for what it is 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 much more than you know human comprehension can put into words so we don't know so when they try to translate it oh they're crazy let's give them medication and put them in yeah. this white cushiony room i think you're onto something i have a very strong feeling of connectedness and i try to explain to people how what my feeling is and it comes down to belief really it does i can't prove it but i feel a certain sense of and feeling for universal consciousness and all these threads of consciousness are connected always have been forevermore will be time is an illusion Everything is connected and all life forms. And I don't mean just humans. I mean blades of grass. I mean mosquitoes. I don't like mosquitoes, by the way, but, you know, we're all connected. I just think all life is connected and we have no idea what's really going on. And all the major religions have tried to suggest what's going on. And they're making a fairly good stab at it. You know, oh, yeah, let's all be nice to each other. That's a good idea in society. 
be nice, be kind, right? It, it makes for a happier time on earth if people are nice to each other. So it makes sense. And then you get all these religions that also fight each other. So that's not good. Um, but I just, never mind religion. For me, it doesn't need a religion. There's no explanation and nobody knows. And it's definitely not worth fighting over while we're on this earth because nobody knows the truth. And maybe we're not meant to know. And maybe nobody knows until our physical bodies are dead and then our spirits know. And maybe some of us have a spirit that knows before we're dead. And I don't know why that is. I I, no. I don't know. I don't know. Do you know? <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I hardly know my own name. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I, I completely agree with everything that you said, how there's definitely this sense of oneness that permeates all of living species. I mean, Terrence McKenna, to reference him again, the way that he looks at DNA, he believes it's the hyperdimensional fingerprint of this force that is beyond our understanding ever. And so I think all really religion is, is this human intuitive understanding that there is something beyond but the way to materialize is you know depending on the culture that you're raised in it's going to look differently but it's everybody agreeing that they're saying hey there's something more to this whole video game that we're living here we don't know what it is but hey let's try to build a society here are the rules to follow um and yeah let's continue onward mm -hmm. yeah there's something to it i don't know how to describe it either uh, but there is something beyond what we can possibly ever understand. Something incredible and amazing. And I, for one, am so grateful to be alive on this planet. I think it's a beautiful, wondrous planet. But I also don't fear death. Because I feel like spirit lives on in some form. And maybe it's glorious. Let's hope so. I don't know. I'm not yeah. ready to find out yet. I, I don't want to die yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, you, if you're trying to find out, uh, it's just smoke DMT. You might get, you might get a little hint of it right there. Oh man. Oh. <laughs> no, but in, in all seriousness, I'm curious. Um, you know, how strongly do you agree with the statement? Your mind or soul can leave your body and travel. Oh, very strongly. I've had lots of astral travel dreams. Um, was that my mind or my soul? I don't know what it was, but I used to, uh, as a child, much more so than now, actually. I, I haven't had one for a couple of years at least. But as a child, I would go and travel to places in my dreams, and I remember what they looked like. And then later as an adult, I would actually physically go there, such as to continental Europe. I'd never left England as a child, but when I was 15, uh, my aunt took me down on a trip to France, uh, down to the south of France in her Volkswagen van, which was an excellent trip. And we would go to these towns that I already knew. I knew the layout of because I'd seen them in my dreams. I literally had flown over. I had lots of flying dreams. I would, I would fly over these towns in my dreams and I would know exactly where everything was and the, and the lay of the streets and where the bakery was or patisserie, whatever they call it, where um, the aqueduct was and, and where the river went. And so when I got to these towns, I knew where to go 
even though I wasn't driving, I would direct, you know, oh, over there, there's the butcher shop or whatever, because I'd already been there in my dreams. So it was like a way of uh, predicting something in dreamland. And then it became reality later. So when I tried to explain, everyone sort of laughed at me like, yeah, you're making it up. You're just guessing. All these towns are much the same. Well, no, they're not, actually, because they were identical to my dream of them. Not all towns are exactly the same. You can't tell me that. So, yeah. yeah. Astral travel is one thing I did a lot when I was a child. And again, so, I can't make it happen. It's a dream state. So it makes me wonder what's more real, the dream state or the, the state we think we're in when we're awake. I don't know. Yeah, that's an interesting question. And it makes me think about the purpose of dreams. What do you think it serves? Because if astral projection is just kind of this form of dreaming and, you know, there's lucid dreaming where people are able to take full control and start manifesting and materializing. Oh, I do that too. That comes to mind. I do that You too. do that as well? Oh, yeah. If I don't like the way a dream's going, I change it. If it's getting scary, well, I couldn't as a child with those standing stone dreams, but I learned how to probably because of that, because I didn't want them anymore. So when I don't like the direction of dreams going, I go, ah, ah, wait a minute, stop. And it's almost like a director saying, cut. Okay, on to the next <laughs> scene. Um, I can change it and, and make it go the way I want it to so that it's happier for me. I do that a lot. I can still do that. So what do you think the whole purpose of dreaming serves? This is kind of something that's, you know, debated. We don't really know, but I'm curious as somebody who has such a strong affinity to, you know, beyond just normal thinking and dreaming and you're kind of in this this dreamscape a lot more than the average person. What do you think all of these dreams have taught you and what do you think this whole purpose of of even having a dream is? Like why do we do it? Hmm. Well, the so-called experts say that it's the uh the body's way of coping and sorting out what's going on in your life and your subconscious is just helping you arrange things for your better for your betterment so maybe if there's something stressful going on in your life then your dreams will figure it out or help to relax your whole system possibly that sounds like it is a good idea if that works because you know nobody wants to be under stress but i can't think of any kind of stress i've been under or am under besides physical pain i do have some physical uh, deformities that cause me a lot of physical pain but mentally i'm not under any stress at all that i can think of so i don't know why i dream it's just weird. Subconscious mind is a weird thing. For me, especially weird when I dream of things that come true, of course. So apparently not everybody does that. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know what dreams are all about. I think there was some tribe in New Zealand or something that believe or did believe years ago that the dream state is the true state and our waking lives are the dream they kind of reversed it they're like 
you know what? No, no, no. Your mind knows what's going on or your subconscious or your spirit. That's real. And this thing that we're living is just illusion. And some people I know think similar thoughts. I just that's don't know. Very, yeah, that's su that's super interesting to to think about and to to begin to, you know, wind down the overall podcast because I know I want to be respectful of your time. And I'm just curious, you know, when I, I think of uh, when thinking about dreams, for some reason, I started to think about Mozart. And there's quotes of Mozart talking about how when he was five years old, writing a symphony down where he felt as if the God was streaming something into his consciousness and he had no ability to understand what he was writing down. He was simply just recording this whole orchestra and, you know, it becomes a masterpiece. And it makes me think about talking about how time is an illusion. And if time is an illusion, a lot of people subscribe to the belief that, you know, everything in the universe has already happened an infinite amount of times. And we're just living one of these kind of, you know, timelines. And so everything that there is to know about the universe is already there. And these people that are supposedly geniuses are just able to break through that veil, tap into the middle of the circle and bring back that information to their current timeline. So I'm curious on what you think about that, because I feel like when you travel off into this dreamscape and you're seeing things that aren't actually there, it's almost as if these geniuses that have completely changed the course of history were able to tap in and to say, you know what? I don't know where this came from, but it was beamed into my mind. And so I'm just curious on your thoughts on that whole situation from you. Well, I'm no genius. That's for darn sure. I've been married to enough Asperger's to know different, right? I know who's the clever one. It's not me. But anyway, having said that, <laughs> uh, Mozart, I do believe, was channeling, you know, uh, I don't know how else to describe this, but channeling is, I think, receiving, being able to receive, being open to receiving some kind of knowledge that other people just don't get. There's some kind of openness there. So I think Mozart probably was indeed not just a genius. Of course he was. He, he was um, like, he had the, kind of consciousness similar to mine but to the nth degree you know i have a little bit i have snippets of it sometimes i pierce the veil sometimes these things come to me i can't make it happen it's occasional it's nowadays fairly rare now that i'm adult and i i've got this logical brain happening that you know cancels out otherworldly stuff to a great degree but i think mozart probably was just open to it and indeed was channeling some kind of other consciousness, other amazing gift that nobody else could. Good for him. Thank goodness for people like that. They're amazing. Right. Exactly. And so to, to end on a high note, what's one thing that you're going to be channeling, um, whether it be for the new year? um for you know the next decade of your life i'm curious on what it is that your mind or actually just your approach in general is it something that you do you take in the world around you and channel in and think ahead or is it kind of something where it's a day by day flowing like the ocean you'll see what happens you know if the tide pulls in something on your beach you'll look at it then 
I'm kind of curious on your overall outlook and how your energy flows throughout each one of your days. Oh, I'm more of a let's see what the tide brings in type. I'm not deliberately doing any of this. This just happens to me. If I concentrate on what I want, what I desire most, it's the health of my children. And that's it. Beyond that, I couldn't care less. Bring it, you know. Okay, world, bring it. Whatever you've got, bring it to me. But as long as my children are healthy, I'm good. <laughs> Spoken like a true mother, right? <laughs> yes. That's it, though. Um, I Obviously, as I said earlier in this uh, broadcast, I really wish for things like world peace. I don't see it happening. I'm a cynic. But wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't that be wonderful if humans would just stop it and just relax and be nice to each other? That is a beautiful note to end on. This has been the Searching for Something podcast. Sue, thank you so much for bringing your energy here. The tide pulls you in. And so thank you so much for sharing your insight with the world. You're very welcome. Thank you. I've got lots more stories if you want part two anytime. <laughs> Yes, of course. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Isaac.